All of your garage experts needs if you want experts. Of course you want experts. You're going to spend that sort of money, right? I've noticed, as many of you may have as well, epoxy flooring. It's something that more and more people are looking at. They're recognizing the value in it. They're recognizing the benefits of it for their garage or maybe patio. Or maybe even you have a factory or a barber shop or a veterinarian service or a restaurant. And you think, man... That is incredible looking. It's easy to keep clean. It's a moisture barrier. It's just such a fantastic route to go. I've talked with someone else who has it. They can't stop talking about it. But I think I'll do it on my own and save some money. Don't do that. Do not do that. First off, you're not going to get the product, the same level of product that you get with Garage Experts. The process. Uh, A friend of mine... Once upon a time, now he eventually had garage experts do it, but prior to that, tried it on his own, and he described it as some sort of like chemical stuff that you put on your flooring, and it's supposed to etch it up a bit so that the epoxy adheres to it. That's nowhere close to what garage experts do. They have machinery that just grinds down the floor. It has a uh, dust vacuum, if you will, on it so that your garage floor is dustless. They fill in any cracks, any little pock marks, and so forth before they even begin the process. And this is something that they do every single day. It's not one of 20 different services they offer. This is what they do. Garage experts with their customized storage and the flooring. So if you want it done right and you want to use your money wisely, it's Garage Experts at ksgf.com under Nick's endorsements. Uh, for several years now, we have done Nick's favorite things, and this is to help when there's still plenty of time. It's to help give you some ideas for maybe the hard-to-buy shop-for person, or maybe they aren't hard to shop for, but you're just very busy, so you don't necessarily have time to think about these things. And, and so we go around to local area businesses in order to hopefully give you some ideas for gift ideas. In fact, some of those I'm myself I'm using. But then there are those of us, and most of us, unless... You've just escaped this in your life. Most of us at some point in time have waited until the very last minute. Or maybe this is what's happened. It's Friday, and somebody gives you a gift that you didn't expect was going to give you a gift. And you're like, oh, crap. Now i got to get them something. But what do I do? We're getting into Christmas Eve. Things are closed. So we're going to embark upon the impossible. And tomorrow we're going to head out and we're going to uh, be checking in Facebook Live uh, like we did with Nick's favorite things and try just to find out of desperation some ideas for you. If, if it comes Christmas Eve and it's in the afternoon or the evening and you're just screwed because somebody's coming over to visit, you didn't know it was going to come visit, or you found out they got you a gift and you didn't get them one, what are you going to do? Pyramid Roofing is sponsoring our venture. And the good folks at Avis are going to provide us transportation. So be sure to be watching us on Facebook as we check in periodically throughout the day tomorrow after the Friday Roadshow at Scramblers, which, of course, is sponsored by Extra Mile 
home inspection, and real estate repair. Now the latest news update. From Color 10 News, I'm Jesse Inman. Tonight, Color 10 investigates a car repair shop in Springfield facing scrutiny again for abandoning customer vehicles in its latest eviction. Photos show incomplete paint jobs and disassembled vehicles left at the space Queen City Rod and Custom rented. Customers complain that the company would accept payments and never finish the work. Hear from customers as Color 10 investigates the future of Queen City Rod and Custom and what new trouble owners could face next. Tonight at 6, a man who was shot twice now faces four felonies connected to that shooting. Ariante Turner was shot twice after an argument inside Wicked Superstore on East Kearney after midnight last Thursday. Turner admitted to police that he had a firearm during the incident, later saying he also shot at someone that night. Police believe Turner started the argument. He is a convicted felon and cannot legally own a gun. From Color 10 News, I'm Jesse Inman. First alert forecast, sponsored by Wolfpack Cleaners, your residential and commercial cleaning professionals, and they are awesome. From Color 10, Fox 49, meteorologist Tom Schmidt, mostly cloudy today with a high of 58. Tonight, rain likely, 47 rain or cloudy tomorrow with rain likely in the morning, a high of 54. Springfield's Talk 104.1. I am Nick Reed. It is author of the week time because it's Thursday. And ABC Books on North Glenstone, again, want to thank them so much. They have always been tremendous partners making these author interviews possible by sponsoring author of the week. And we actually have a return author, uh, same author, different book. We spoke with him last year on Drinking with the Saints, Michael Foley's Why We Kiss Under the Mistletoe, Christmas Traditions Explained. What made you decide to write it? Well, you know, as a boy, like many others, I was fascinated by Christmas. I loved the season, and I was always intrigued by the symbols because they're not self-explanatory. Why do we deck the halls with boughs of holly and not boxwood? What's up with mm. the Christmas tree, and why do we kiss under the mistletoe? So as an adult, being a, a theologian by training, I was able to do a deep dive into these customs and get some answers. Well, let's start with the mistletoe. I mean, where did that come from? It's, uh, it's got a long history, but the short answer is the Druids. They were big fans of the mistletoe. They thought it was a magical plant because it was green in the dead of winter. It had berries. It never needed soil. It kind of grew in the air. And so they would make peace under the mistletoe. And then when Christianity came along, they added their signature greeting which, of peace, which is the holy kiss. Does the Christmas tree have similar origins? So a lot of people think that the Christmas tree had a pagan origin, but I discovered there are actually myths about Christmas myths, and one of them is about the Christmas tree. As it turns out, the Christmas tree is a uniquely Christian invention. How was it that Christians decided, oh, let's decorate a tree? It started out as a stage play. December uh, 24th was the unofficial feast of Adam and Eve, and they would enact plays mm -hmm. about the Garden of Eden, and they had two trees on the stage. One was the Tree of Life, which was decorated with candy to symbolize eternal life. The other was the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil, which they would decorate with apples or symbols of apples, such as red balls. And when these plays were eventually suppressed, people loved those trees so mm. much that they combined them into one tree and moved them into their homes. 
And that's where we got the Christmas tree. So why is it that we don't know that? I, I had always heard the, the, I suppose, the myth that it was something that came from the, the Druids. Where did we get off track with that history? Well, it's kind of understandable because the Germans did have a Yule tree. Mm. And they liked to decorate the interiors of their homes with evergreens just to sort of ward off the, the doldrums of winter. But the paradise tree or the Christmas tree really did have a different origin. And one proof of this is that even into the 19th century, German households would have a Yule tree, which they'd keep up for all winter. And then on December 24th, they would put up the Christmas tree. Oh, that is very interesting. 12 days of Christmas. I want to ask you about this. I was just having a conversation uh, with my family about this. I don't know where we were, but that but that song came on, and I noted that that is my least favorite Christmas song, maybe even song, because the repetitive nature of it. I, I don't like repetitiveness within certain contexts, and, and so it just drives me nuts. But it is one of the most well-known Christmas songs, although most people probably could not tell you what each one of the days is in the song. But where, what is the, the 12 Days of Christmas? Where did that come from? So the song was um, being inspired by a very old custom, which is observing the 12 Days of Christmas, which are the period of time between December 25th, Christmas Day, and the Feast of the Epiphany, January 6th, with an unbroken period of merriment. The old-fashioned Christmas was very different from the modern one. You know, today, we, we seem to start Christmas earlier and earlier with our, you know, marketing season. <laughs> you know, this year I saw jack-o'-lanterns and Christmas trees side-by-side right. side for sale. Um, so we start early, and then, you know, our, our airwaves are saturated with Christmas songs, and by the time we get to December 25th, we're practically sick of Christmas. But the older model was that December was a time of restraint. It was Advent, and you you held. It was still a joyful time, but you held back. And then when Christmas came, you pulled out all the stops, and then for twelve days you just made merry. We're talking with our author of the week, Michael Foley, the book Why We Kiss Under the Mistletoe, Christmas Traditions Explained. Tell us about Santa Claus, St. Nick, the origins there. Well, St. Nick was a real person, a very holy bishop, a great patron of children. He was a champion of the little guy. He, he protected people from unjust accusations. Uh, he protected his town from an onerous uh, imperial tax and then after his death, legends about him grew and grew and grew all throughout the Middle Ages. But the big transformation into Santa Claus took place in New York City at the beginning of the 19th century, when American authors basically took these old Dutch customs about St. Nicholas, and they added elements from Norse mythology uh, particularly regarding Thor and Woden, um, who you know had uh, sleighs in the sky pulled by goats, and this is what made thunder. They took all these legends, 
they put them in a blender and they turned on the switch. And that's where we got Santa Claus. Yeah, you, you talk about what some would see as a you reference a little darker. I, I, I love Christmas. I'm very traditional in the sense of the origins of it. But at the same time, the more secular uh, aspects of it, I definitely enjoy. And then at the same time, I, I, I enjoy some of the different cultures and uh, their versions of not just Santa Claus, but some of the darker side, Krampus, for example. It's In fact, for me, uh, my wife, the our tradition, she always watches White Christmas as I put the lights on the tree. And then at some point between then and Christmas, when everyone is asleep, I watch Krampus, the movie. <laughs> Because I just, I don't, I find it really interesting. Tell us about some of the darker sides of Christmas, if you will, and, and the Krampus uh, characters. That was the big surprise for me. And I dedicate an entire chapter to the dark side of Christmas. Krampus was a demon uh, in Austria. And he often is associated with St. Nicholas as a kind of spooky sidekick. <laughs> while... Um, St. Nicholas, who's very kind-hearted, gives gifts to the children, the nice children. Krampus is around to scare the naughty children. And there are dozens of these kind of spooky figures in European folklore. Uh, I, wa- I want to talk about the um, you got the traditional aspect of, of Christmas, and then you've got the secular and everything in between. Christmas is an interesting holiday in that I don't know that there are any other holidays that are based in a specific religion that is so widely recognized and celebrated by people, even if they don't even necessarily know the meaning of it. Um, That, 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 that wide range there, I mean, clearly there are mass differences between the secular observance and the Christian observance. And, and then there are some that don't want the secular observance at all. In fact, they kind of push back at the idea of even taking kids to see Santa Claus because it detaches from the true meaning of it. How, how do you view all of that in that wide spectrum? Oh, it, it is so wide and it's fascinating. I met a friend who uh, travels extensively and he went to a home in Kazakhstan uh, of a Muslim family, and they had a Christmas tree. And he asked, why? And they just said, well, we just thought it was really nice. It's just a pretty <laughs> custom. So they, you know, attach no religious meaning yeah. to it. But uh, you're right. There's something so appealing about Christmas joy. And, of course, it gets secularized, and it is easy to lose the religious meaning but I, I tend to be optimistic. I, I think there are certain elements of a modern Christmas that are good, and you don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, one of the advantages of the modern Christmas is that it is more family-friendly than the medieval version. Uh, I told you before, the medievals loved those 12 days of Christmas, but... For them, Christmas was actually more of a time of adult mischief than childhood innocence. 
the the coming together at Christmas um, and the gatherings, food is synonymous with it. And I think at times we just assume, well, when you get together, you have get-togethers, uh, people bring food. But is there beyond that, is there some other reason, motivation, or meaning behind the fact that you know, the cookies and, and the breads and all of those sorts of treats? There are just so many different Christmas foods and drinks and treats. I think the emphasis on food is a way of sort of driving out the, the darkness and the cold of winter. That, that coziness that comes from feasting together is, I think it has a, an extra psychological meaning when it's taking place in the middle of winter and winter is a time of food scarcity and you're you're warring against that with this christmas cheer uh before i have my one final question i do want you to tell us a bit about the christmas cat this is uh one of the <laughs> characters if you will in the book and i, I it was one i was not aware of uh, regarding christmas but i found it particularly humorous <laughs> So some of the weirdest customs I discovered were in Iceland. They've got their whole thing, a whole different thing going on. They've got gnomes that visit you during the 12 days of Christmas, but they have this thing called the Christmas cat, and it's a man-eating cat, and it will eat you if you're not wearing new clothes for Christmas. Uh, and why is that? So there are three reasons, th three reasons they speculate behind this legend. One is, in the old days, it was the women folk who made all the clothes. So this was to incentivize them to you know, do their job without complaint. The uh, second reason was similar for children. When they get socks for Christmas, don't complain, this keeps you from being eaten. And then the third reason was to remind you to be kind to the poor. Give them clothes for the bitter, dark winter, because if you don't, they may end up as catnip. So you write about all these different traditions across the world, not just the world, but even here in the United States or certain areas. I know I lived up in Wisconsin for a period of time, and up there was a St. Nick's Day, which was separate from Christmas, where you put wooden shoes out. And while, you know, where here in the Ozarks, where I was born and raised, I'd never even heard of that before. So there, you don't just have different traditions across the world, but even here within our, our own borders. And because there, there's that combined with... Uh, advertising and uh, Christmas specials, it, you have to be, I think, proactive in order to uh, continue to, to recognize the, the true spirit and meaning of Christmas, and it is a, a Christian holiday. What can Christians do in order to really keep tethered to that or, or to recapture that true spirit of Christmas? Well, I think observing Christian customs faithfully throughout the year is a good way to do that. Christian symbols during the month of December, like the Advent calendar or the Advent wreath, um, observing St. Nicholas Day on December 6th, little things like that can anchor uh, a family and keep them from just thinking of it in secular terms. 
Our author of the week, sponsored by ABC Books on North Glenstone, just south of Kearney. It is Michael P. Foley. Why we kiss under the mistletoe, Christmas traditions explained. Uh, thank you, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Springfield's Talk 1041. I'm Nick Reed. Springfield's Talk 1041 is always just an app away. Download the KSGF app and listen live or catch what you missed on KSGF Mornings with Nick. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed. Friday Road Show tomorrow. Broadcasting live from Scramblers, the Friday Road Show, sponsored by Extra Mile Home Inspection and Real Estate Repair. Also, we are going to uh, try and throw those of you a lifeline that still have not gotten Christmas gifts. And maybe it's beyond your control. Uh, unexpected guests going to be visiting. You're like, I didn't, we didn't get them anything. We didn't know they were coming. Or maybe tom- Saturday. Somebody gives you a gift that you didn't expect to give you a gift. You're like, oh, man, I didn't get it. We gotta, we gotta go get them something. Well, I mean, it's all, it's eight o'clock at night. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve. What do we do? Pickens might be slim. So tomorrow we're going to embark out, sponsored by Pyramid Roofing, to try to find the last, 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 last minute. Boy, you really screwed the pooch on this one. Ideas. Avis is going to be providing our transportation, so we will be coming to you via Facebook Live as we go throughout the, the day. And and uh, we don't have a lot of pre-planned on this stuff, I'm telling you now. We're just going into a blind. We're like, okay, we got to figure this stuff out. I mean, we, so uh, it could be quite, quite the adventure. That will be tomorrow. Again, thanks to Pyramid Roofing and Avis. And we'll kick it all off tomorrow morning live from Scrambler's Traffic Update. I'm Nick Reed. First alert forecast sponsored by St. Clair of the Ozarks Home Improvement. Um, Color 10. Fox 49 meteorologist Tom Schmidt. Cloudy high of 58 today. Rain likely. There is a slight chance of rain this afternoon. It's likely tonight with a low of 47. And then cloudy tomorrow. Rain likely in the morning. A high of 54. Aller Building Company. Golden Weaver New Subdivision. Woodvale Subdivision there. 1,700 to 3,100 square feet. Three to five bedroom. And builder incentives in play. So if you've been holding off because of the increased cost of borrowing money, you can offset it by this. Then you can always refinance later if interest rates go down. So best of both worlds. Check out the subdivision. It's got an Aller sign, or at least last when I drove by it recently, it was still out there. At that Woodvale subdivision, Golden and Weaver. Aller is spelled O-L-L-E-R. President Biden was in Milwaukee. And he was speaking to the Black Chamber of Commerce. He had some tidbits of wisdom. Among them was the following. I come from a state that has the eighth largest black population in the country. And uh, as they say, the saying goes, where I come, you bring me to the dance early on. How has somebody not just designed shirts with these quotes? Between him and and Kamala, the two of them. I mean, just listen to this brilliance. I come from a state that has the eighth largest black population in the country. And uh, as they say, the saying goes, 
where I come. You brought me to the dance early on. Okay. It must be such a treat to see him. You know those discussions must happen, right? We're going to see the president. What do you think he's going to say? It will come again as no surprise that he, when he was finished, he shuffled around, didn't know which way to go, did a half jog. One of the things that I've noticed he does, which shows that he still has a degree of awareness, when he forgets which way to go, he sort of, he plays off it. I don't know if you've, not always, sometimes he's not that aware. And he's just very confused, and somebody has to grab him or signal him, and he, and he shuffles away. Or Jill comes in. I think those are the particularly bad moments for him when Jill has to come in, grab him by the arm, and, and lead him away. But there are these moments where he he doesn't remember where he is supposed to go, and he knows that he doesn't remember. And he knows he's supposed to remember. Now, on one hand, you might think to yourself, well, I could just fake it, act confidently just guess which way to go but the way everything is so structured and so set up at these events that's not going to work you, know, you could just walk right off the stage or into a barrier or into a group of people at that you're not supposed to be around and so whenever you are dealing with a situation like this and you're talking about the president of the united states there is a very specific okay you go from here to here and they're, they're preparing for that and so it isn't the sort of thing that you think, well, if I get it wrong, uh, I'll just act like I got it right. It, it just isn't going to work out that way. And I think that he has those moments where he's semi in tune with what's going on enough to where he knows, I don't remember where I'm supposed to go. And so he, he kind of does that thing where he looks at people like, do I go this way? Ha, and he smiles like, I'm just kidding. I know which way to go. Wait, over here this way? Ha, I'm just kidding. It's like, no, you're not kidding. You don't know. So it's that it's that that middle ground of enough awareness to know that he forgot and he's trying to act like he's pretending he forgot. And yesterday was one of those moments. He also talked about... Uh, the student loan situation. Yeah, I went to the Supreme Court my, to eliminate student debt is out there. And guess what? <laughs> Supreme Court ruled against, but I still got 136 million people's debt relieved. Okay, well, that's nowhere close to the truth. There is nowhere even close to 136 million people that have student loan debts to begin with. It's under 50 million. And at that, a small fraction of those individuals were going to see their debt transferred to other people. It isn't the relieving of anything. It's just forcing other people to pay for it. It's very problematic, and I've noted this before. In our culture, that anyone would applaud that. Once upon a time, we were a relatively dignified and proud country of proud people who would recoil at the idea of other people being forced to take responsibility for the actions of ourselves. We would be horrified that it was a reflection of our character that I made a decision that somebody else was forced to take responsibility for. 
It has become the the left has turned it into a virtue to be dishonest because that is dishonest. Now I'm not talking about a situation where somebody you, know, you you make financial decisions and commitments and totally completely unexpected things arise and you are doing everything you desperately can in order to meet your obligations. What I'm talking about is this mentality that has been developed primarily amongst the left. People knowingly and willingly borrow money from someone and then feel indignant that they should have to pay back that institution's money and think it's virtuous to force someone else to pay for it. To me, that's disgusting, and people should be embarrassed to have that perspective. But this is the depraved nature of culture that the left has cultivated in this country. Taking a a culture that once upon a time was filled, people had dignity, people whose who, their, their character mattered to them, and transforming them into people who think it is virtuous to promise, make, engage in an agreement with someone, just say, forget about it, I'm not doing it, and then force someone else to uphold their end of the bargain for them, and that is paying back the loan. That's not virtuous. That's the furthest thing from virtuous. It's selfish. It's greedy. It's depraved. It's immoral. It's unethical. And to have a political party campaign on that and then have an audience that applauds it, that does not say much about our culture. One other bit of audio I want to play. There is a lot of confusion over exactly what Bidenomics is. You and I aren't confused about it. We see it all around us. Uh, People are suffering to a tremendous degree because of it. There's some confusion within the Democrat Party why it is that Biden keeps talking about it, because it's very clear it's not a winner. But he keeps bragging about it. But an interesting question is, if you were to say, all right, elevator pitch here, what is Bidenomics? An elevator pitch being something that's just uh, very short and very concise and extremely digestible so that you can take a subject matter that sometimes might have complexities to it and have it put in just a a few simple sentences in a manner that gives the individual the overall idea and understanding of what the subject matter is. And Joe Biden did that when it came to Bidenomics yesterday in Milwaukee before the Black Chamber of Commerce. We're doing it by building an economy from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. Not a whole lot trickle down on my dad's kitchen table with the top down economy. But when you middle from the middle, when you increase the middle class, the poor have a shot and the wealthy still do very well. The middle class does well and we all do well. That's what we call Bidenomics. <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> That's his elevator pitch. <laughs> well, you know, my dad and the dripping down and the table, the dinner and the Biden, Biden up and the Bidenomics and the up. Not much from the down up to the top. 
and then the middle out goes out. That's what happens with the middle going out, and then the bottom up tops. That that's Bidenomics. Well, there you go, Bidenomics 101. I can't wait until Biden is teaching one of those master classes that you can get online. Springfield's Talk 1041. I'm Nick Reed. Sarah Myers. Thank you. Well, there's some misconceptions when it comes to roofing. Like you have to wait for spring or summer to get your roof repaired. But I was speaking to Josh over at the Pyramid Roofing Company a couple weeks ago, and he kind of went through the myths, and he actually explained that right now is a great time to give them a call if you are having any type of roof issues or you have some concerns. Uh, And he also explained that right now is a great time to do a roof inspection as well. Now, whenever you call them, they'll come out, they'll check your gutters, your vents, uh, check for nail pops, check your flashing, all of that. And they can make sure that your roof is going to be winter ready. And if not, no worries because the team over at Pyramid, they are truly professionals. They can get y'all taken care of. So if you are thinking, man, it's been a long time since I've had anybody take a look at my roof. Maybe it is time. Uh, You can give Josh a call today. Now you can find all of that contact information for the Pyramid Roofing Company under the Sarah's Endorsements tab at ksgf.com. The Biden administration, and they've carried some of this over from the Obama administration, really has put a price on the head of Americans. They've made them very valuable for the purpose of kidnapping, falsely imprisoning, because we really saw this with Obama and um, the release of Taliban's top most desired terrorist in exchange for... um, John Walker, Lynn, is that his name? You know, the Taliban, the guy the, the guy who left and went to hang out with the Taliban for a couple of years and didn't like it so much, so wanted to come back. And there was this big press conference about it. I think it was in the Rose Garden, and I believe that Democrats thought that Americans would think this is fantastic until they realized, wait, this is a guy who willfully left. Traitor to his country didn't turn out exactly the way that he thought it was going to. So the United States gave the Taliban top of their five most dangerous terrorists in exchange for the American who abandoned the United States. Didn't go over as well as I think they expected. With Russia... While Russia is in the midst of this war in Ukraine, one of their biggest assets, Victor Bout, the merchant of death. Big, big, big prize for them. Big prize. Desperately needed this guy back. And the Biden administration wanted a WNBA player back who illegally took drugs into Russia and was imprisoned. And she... You know, she certain check marks, certain demographics. Russia was able to get the merchant of death in exchange for her. And so we're, we, we, what, what the world has been sent in terms of messaging is that it now pays, and it can pay extremely well, to falsely imprison Americans, to kidnap Americans, One of the countries that clearly has recognized this, I've talked about, is Venezuela. 
Well, the White House announced the details of a hostage exchange with Venezuela yesterday. President Joe Biden, quote, today, 10 Americans who have been detained in Venezuela have been released and are coming home, including all six wrongfully detained Americans. These individuals have lost far too much precious time with their loved ones. Their families have suffered every day in their absence. I'm grateful their ordeal is finally over and that these families are being made whole once again. Additionally, a fugitive named Leonard Francis, who fled the U.S. before he could be sentenced for his lead role in a brazen bribery and corruption case, was extradited from Venezuela so that he will face justice for crimes he committed against the U.S. government and the American people. So the guy was facing bribery charges. A Biden statement left out a key part of the deal, the release of Alex Saab, a friend and ally to Iran and the Maduro regime. The Colombian ally of dictator Maduro, who stole $350 million from starving Venezuelans. Saab, a war profiteer, was arrested while flying to Iran to develop a new corruption network with the Iranian regime. So, of course, helping, once again, terrorism. He stole hundreds of millions of dollars directed for food aid through corrupting the CLAP program, resulting in a very small fraction of food actually going to the hungry. And so, again, we have demonstrated very poor deal-making, for one, and that it is very valuable. If you are a bad player in this world, if you are a dictator... If one of your most valuable assets, whether it is a funder of terrorism, it is a merchant of death, uh, a personality trait that you happen to uh, exhibit that makes you valuable, that, that if, if you are a bad, bad guy and you want those people back and the United States have them, just kidnap some Americans because Americans are now for sale as official foreign policy, and it was demonstrated yet again yesterday with Venezuela. Bo Bergdahl, thank you. Those of you who texted in the American Transmissions talk and text line. I, I, was, I was like John Walker Lynn, thinking of, trying to think of the name of the American who abandoned the U.S. trader. Things didn't go so well with the Taliban, and so the Obama administration in a brilliant play released to the Taliban top five of its most coveted terrorists that were in captivity, which would later, by the way, go back out and carry out acts of terrorism. And we knew that they would. We did that in order to, you know, have a hero's welcome for this traitor. Brilliant deal-making. And I couldn't remember, but it was Bo Bergdahl. I said John Walker Lynn, who was... I think it was called the American Taliban. He was an American that was right in the midst of the war in Afghanistan. Like, hey, aren't you supposed to be on this side? He was fighting on behalf of the Taliban. In this country, it's become pretty clear we are having the the niche industry of drag crammed down our throats for political purposes. They're trying to jam it in schools. And 
one of the things the left loves to point out is like drag's nothing new. Yeah, that's right. But the fact that like you know no one had a problem with it before. This is what they don't they they're, they're making not the point that they think that they're making. I've seen before celebrities post all these pictures of you know, celebrities dressed as women. Robin Williams is Mrs. Doubtfire. And they're like, drag's nothing new. Yeah, and do you notice no one had a problem with it? Maybe it wasn't necessarily everyone's cup of tea, but they were like, okay, whatever. No one's forcing it down my throat, so what do I care? Do what you want to do. The problem started whenever they're like, we need to have three-year-olds getting lap dances from drag queens. You know, that that's when it became a little problematic. In addition to that, we are dealing with the wokeness of erasing women by claiming that any man, if he so just declares, I am a woman, so be it he is, it's magical that way. It oftentimes ekes its way into competitions that are about women. And then I saw this story about something that happened in France that I thought, how just, I, I don't know, twisted we are over here. So the left loves to think somehow we're behind culturally from our European allies, like in France, for example, and, and we should aspire to be more like them. So one would think... Well, I bet they've got drag shows as mandatory teaching and, you know, and I bet all men are women and, and that's just the way it is and so forth. Miss France, the, the newest Miss France, Eve Giles, is facing a massive backlash because she is the first Miss France winner in the pageant's 103-year history to not have long hair. And the backlash is in the context of wokeness. And the, and the people in France are up in arms because they feel that this is an attempt to de-womanize women because, and by the way, she's a beautiful gal. She's got what would be called a, a pixie cut. It, no, I mean, it's not an unusual haircut. No one would ever see this gal and think anything other than, dang, she's good looking. So it's not some weird haircut or anything at all. It's just part of femininity, evidently, in France, has always been synonymous with long hair, which is why for 102 years, Miss France always had long hair. And with this, what and the, the feeling is that this is an attempt to... to Send the message to women that they should be less feminine, that they need to be more masculine. And I just thought, what worlds apart that, it, it, not that this is necessarily a representation of everything culturally going on in France, but here in the United States, the controversy is over whether actual men should be able to compete against women in sports and in pageants, while in France they're mad because the chick has a short haircut. And that, they feel, is an attack on, on women and femininity. 
Tomorrow morning, we will be broadcasting live Friday Roadshow Scramblers, sponsored by Extra Mile Home Inspection and Real Estate Repair. And then we're going to embark out absolute last minute. You waited too long. There's no good gifts out there for you to get. You're probably right, but we're going to try to find something. Pyramid Roofing sponsoring that. And Avis providing our transportation. Look forward to coming to you on Facebook Live throughout the morning, early part of the afternoon probably as well. With that, have a great day. Glenn Beck's next. I'm Nick Reed.